0: It was mind-blowing to me. This simple molecule that we learned about in elementary school, Dr. Pollock's work, showed us that there's a fourth phase of water. Structured water can store energy much like a battery. Functions of water's temperature regulation, lubricating joints, carries nutrients. Proper hydration is the most important thing for homeostasis. Our environments are incredibly dehydrating. Fascia acts as a hydraulic pump. The micro-movements, they're so simple. People need to stop cutting themselves off from the head and feel
1: Students. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. Friends, I adore today's
2: episode. I think hydration is a complicated topic because it can seem so simple, yet there's actually a huge science to it and a lot going on. That's why I was thrilled to interview Dr. Dana Cohen about her new book, Quench, which really goes deep into the science of hydration and how it affects your body on a truly cellular level. And then the connection to movement is just (laughs) kind of crazy. One of the things we talk about is the micro movements that you can do that I had already been doing and thought I was just really weird for doing them. And now it makes so much sense. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash quench. Definitely check out those show notes because they'll have links to everything we discuss and they will have a full transcript, which is super awesome. Also, definitely stay tuned in this episode because I am going to tell you how to get a free bottle. Yes, completely free of one of my favorite probiotics ever. So stay tuned for that. I'd love to hear your thoughts about what you think in today's episode. You can talk with me and lots of other biohackers in my Facebook community. Guys, that's the place to go to engage with me and the community. That's Paleo O M A D Biohackers, real foods plus intermittent fasting plus life. We honestly discuss everything there. Also, if you'd like early access to this show 24 hours in advance, definitely follow me in the Himalaya app. I listen to so many podcasts. You guys know this, and it's my favorite app of all time for listening to all my shows. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm still super shy there, like really shy. (laughs) I'm quite an introvert. I find Instagram actually a little bit stressful, but (laughs) I am enjoying it. And I am trying to post things that I think will really resonate with listeners, especially weird products that people want pictures of and they want to see. I also do giveaways. So definitely follow me. It is at Melanie Avalon. Hi friends. Welcome back to the show. So I am super excited to be here today with Dr. Dana Cohen, and she has a fascinating book that she co-authored. It's called Quench, Beat Fatigue, Drop Weight, and Heal Your Body Through the New Science of Optimum Hydration. And friends, this book is actually fascinating because it taps into two factors that After reading the book, I've realized radically affect energy levels in our body and our health. And there are two things that I think a lot of people don't often realize, and that is hydration as well as fascia. Fascia. Yeah. Fascia, fascia, (laughs) (laughs) and fascia, which relates to movement. So a lot of really fascinating topics here. The book is absolutely fascinating. Dana, thank you so much for being
0: here. Well, thank you for having me
2: you have a very impressive resume. So for listeners, Dr. Cohen, she was certified by the American Board of Internal Medicine. She was appointed to the Board of Directors of the American College for the Advancement of Medicine, which is the leading voice of integrative medicine. She's been practicing integrative medicine for the last 20 years and is actually currently the Medical Director of Complete Wellness. And I am fascinated to learn you actually trained with Dr. Robert Atkins.
0: I did. This was literally right out of residency. My first job was with Dr. Atkins at the Atkins Center here in New York City, and he changed my life. I thank God for him. <laughs> what was that like? Any, <laughs> any quick stories or anything? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, it was funny because when... About six months but when you're finishing up residency, about six months before is when you start to think about jobs and what are you going to do. And truth be told, I was kind of miserable. Here I am, probably $200,000 in debt, can't change what I've just spent You know, three years of my internal medicine residency primary care because I had to work at this point. And And just not loving it. And so I'm looking for jobs and I found an ad in the New York Times that said, world-renowned wellness center looking for a doctor. And it's in New York City. And I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. I'm thinking it's going to be some kind of spa or something. And I called and it was a headhunter and she's like, well, it's for Dr. Atkins. And the crazy thing was, I was doing the Atkins diet at the time and me and a couple of my, my girlfriends, other, other residents were doing it. I remember us carrying like pepperoni and cheese in our pockets and I it never felt better. Like I, I felt incredible. My energy was amazing. I could go, you know, 24, 36 hours in the ICU and, and be fine, feel, feeling, you know, great. So I went for the interview and I knew nothing about integrative medicine and I met with him and he was incredibly charming (laughs) and funny and brilliant and I got the job, I took the job. The first six months that I was there, I fought him on everything. I, I fought him. I was like, what is this? What are you talking about this vitamin C? You know, he'd, be, he'd have an IV room that was bigger than my apartment in New York City. And I was like, what are you doing with this vitamin C? And he, I remember he sent me downstairs and he's like, go talk to those people. Spend the afternoon. I want, you to, I want you to interview every single one of those patients sitting in the chairs. And I'd go down there and this person in this chair was diagnosed with metastatic colon cancer given six months to live. 10 years ago. You know, and that same story I kept hearing over and over again and I was like, wow, like this was incredible. So he just he really taught me, he taught me the importance of nutrition and diet and and specifically low carb dieting and I saw miracles on a daily basis just from people changing their diet.
2: That is absolutely incredible and actually it's I mean it's super appropriate because Atkins is what you know, integrated me into the whole holistic health world. And I think so many people do find their way into that world because they initially go, you know, super low carb and see such radical changes that's often due to Dr. Atkins. So that's incredible. And then I add such context because in your book, which we can be talking about more, I mean, the plan is obviously not, it's not automatically super low carb or anything. So I'm really excited now or when we continue talking to explore the role of hydration and how that comes into play and the role of carbs, because I feel like that adds a whole nother layer and something I could even ask you right now. How often do you think on low carb diets, for example, that dehydration is actually a significant problem, especially when people seemingly are experiencing great energy and health changes at the beginning like you did and like I did.
0: Yeah, yeah, so it's a great question because it's a known thing that when you go on a low-carb diet, it's actually a diuretic. So people notice, in the, especially in the first couple of days, you're peeing all the time. So it is a powerful diuretic and you have to make up for that loss. And I think, you know, this is not, unfortunately with all of this stuff, everything that we're going to, you know, Everything nutrition-wise, we're going to talk about like there's no study that says, oh, this is exactly what you should do like with a medication. You know, you take this one pill and it changes this. This is nutrition and there's so many factors and everything that goes on. But going back to what I was going to say is that with hydration – the thought is that you're supposed to drink half your weight in ounces. If I had to give you a number of, you know, which I don't like to do because we're all different sizes, we're all different shapes, we all do, dif- we all sweat differently. So, but if I had to give you a number, the best thing to follow is drink half your weight in ounces, right? A lot of people have heard that now. With a low carb diet or a ketogenic diet, you're supposed to drink at least seventy five percent of your weight in ounces a day.
2: Yeah, that's incredible. I mean that's such a big number and I I'm just so intrigued by like I said at the beginning how people do experience such you know radical energy shifts and things like that and I, but I wonder if there are underlying problems that might not be addressed especially if people are on these long term especially with things like the carnivore diet and I could go on all these rabbit holes.
0: I think it's important because I do think you talk about fiber in in these carnivore diets like there's no fiber and I do I was on another person's podcast who you know we agreed to disagree who is a proponent of the carnivore diet and says that there's really no studies that says that we need fiber. I just think from a physiological standpoint and even for our gut health, like to give our microbiome, feeding our microbiome with fiber, we do need some fiber. I do want to say about the Atkins diet and having now spent actually 22 years as I've been in practicing for over 22 years now, it's very difficult to be on either a ketogenic diet or an Atkins diet long-term. And I do think that there's something about cycling in and out. I've also changed my, my whole practice. I mean, there is, there is no such thing as one diet fits all and everybody's individualized. So I hope you know, that people are listening that you do have to sort of find what fits for you, what works for you, what you know to be healthy. You need to be in your bodies and feel what, what feels right and what you know is right. Your body is the, the wisest teacher you know, literally.
2: I love that so much. That is literally my, I mean, that's like my thesis in life. I shudder when people say that there's one right diet for everyone or that everybody needs to be doing this diet or doing this diet. And I see why it happens because, you know, people I think often will have health conditions or they're trying to lose weight or something, and then they find a diet that does work for them. And so they think that because it's so radically changed their life, that it's A, that it's automatically going to last forever, which like you just said, (laughs) there is um, something to be said for changing things up. And then also they think it automatically applies to everybody else. And I'm just like, no, we're all so unique. But that said, I'm sure there are health tenants that are involved. And your personal history though, what led you to your current fascination with hydration and movement and developing this book, which you co-authored with an anthropologist, which is definitely a very unique collaboration. So I'd love to hear more about what brought you to that.
0: Yeah. So actually, I think if I had to do it all over, I would have done my undergrad in anthropology. It's actually not that, that you know, I think most integrative doctors and or physicians or healers, like we really look to our ancestors now about health ideas. And I think it's so fascinating what led me to hydration. You know, having worked for Dr. Atkins, I've always known I have to write a book. I just you know, you need a platform in this in this industry, and it literally took me. 15 years to find what I wanted to write on. I just I do a lot of hormones in my practice. I do a ton of thyroid. I do a lot of gut health and I just I just couldn't figure out what angle those could take. I didn't want to write another book on hormones or or thyroid. I couldn't quite figure out how how that w- what that would look like. You know, you have to go see your doctor and get blood tests. <laughs> Gina, Bria, my co-author called me one day. I actually, I think a patient had referred her, said, go talk to Dr. You, I think you're going to really like her. Gina runs this thing called the Hydration Foundation, and she studied how desert people hydrate. And that was her her thesis. And she asked to speak to me about hydration. And I remember, I've told the story quite a few times now, but I'm going to say it again because it's funny. I remember thinking, oh God, she's going to sell me some kind of you know ionized water, bonsai, scheme thing. <laughs> but I remember also the patient who referred her, I really loved. And I was like, sure, come on in. Feeling a little generous. <laughs> and uh, I gave her my lunch hour and she came and sat down in front of me and started to tell me about the work of Dr. Gerald Pollack, who's the the water researcher, very you know world-renowned water researcher, and about his discovery of this new kind or different phase of water. And, and she sat there and she blew my mind. I, I had not heard of him before. And then we started talking and she was telling me about stories about her mother was in a nursing home and who had to be rushed to the hospital on many occasions for dehydration. And then she finally asked the nurses to put a little chia seeds in her morning orange juice. And never again did she have to be rushed to the hospital because she was no longer dehydrated. And my mother also died in a nursing home from Alzheimer's. So we had a lot in common. And I just I looked at her and I said, Gina, I said, this is going to affect so many people. Do you want to write the book? And she, she looked at me. And she, said, she didn't even think that's where we were going with this. She just wanted to you know talk. And, and she said, oh, my God, yes. And, and so that was how it started and then little did i know we started to really delve into the research of water and hydration and i was sort of shocked at how complicated this simple h2o molecule was and i was like oh my god this is this is you know i'm a i'm a clinician i'm not a researcher i'm not a scientist and i was like what did i get myself into but but we pulled it off and put it all together and i'm so so proud of it and i think um and i know the feedback that i've been getting is Unbelievable, positive, and how it's changing people's lives and and really putting to light that hydration is probably the single most important thing that we can do to treat and prevent chronic illness
2: that is a match made in heaven. you you wanting to be an anthropologist and then that ultimate collaboration. I love that so much. So I guess to start a foundation, I'm so excited you already brought up like, Dr. Pollock's work, which I had actually been doing research on. And it wasn't until I read your book, though, that I really saw more of the science behind that. So I'm really excited to get into all of that. So a basic question, because I think a lot of people just think water is water, (laughs) but what are the different types of water and why is there a difference between quote, normal water that we may be drinking every day versus the water found in like plants and produce, for example, like fruits and vegetables?
0: Yeah. Okay. So when you're talking about types of water, this, I'm assuming you're talking about the phases of water. So everyone knows, we learned this very young, that water exists in three phases, liquid, ice, and vapor. So whether it's liquid, whether it's ice, or whether it's vapor, it's still H2O right what dr Pollock's work has showed us that there is a fourth phase of water and that phase of water we call it gel water in the book it's also known as structured water he calls it easy water which stands for exclusionary zone water and there's there's a lot of science behind that but it is it is the basically The way to describe it is how each of those H2O molecules, how they literally layer upon each other or how they structure. And it is in that form. And so in that structuring, they're sharing electrons. There's all kinds of electrical energy that's being supported by them. And and because of it, it actually takes on a different equation. And it's H3O2 as opposed to H2O. That's the phase that's believed to be what's found in plants. Think about cactus plants. You know what? What Gina did her work on. If you ever open an aloe leaf, there's literally gel flowing out of it. <laughs> if you look at, let me think, iceberg lettuce, or 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 how about um, cucumbers? There's a gel that surrounds that seed. Those are forms of structured water, and it could be it could be really thin. It doesn't have to always be so thick and gel-like that is a different type of water. But, and it's our belief in what we talk about in the book is that, is it in that form that exists within ourselves? And that's the form that exists in nature.
2: Hi friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. So that gel, is it the actual fourth type of water in addition to some other material that's making it more jelly-like or is the the entirety of the gel this fourth phase?
0: it's the fourth type of water and then that's a really good question in the case of aloe there's definitely other substances in there i don't know what they are actually i, I should i should know that there's obviously some healing substances in there because we all use it on our cuts and and <laughs> you know stuff but yeah it's it is that fourth phase of water with other things and there are ways to make that water structured like like fiber. Fiber helps structure water. So if you've ever taken a fiber supplement and put it in, in water and mix it up, if you leave it there, it becomes so thick and jelly-like. So for example, in our cells or in the human body, adding electrolytes, so adding adding real salt or natural sea salt with all those minerals which are electrolytes, can help structure water. And there are things that we know that structure water, things like sunlight. There's actually been research, and this is based on Pollock's research, sunlight or UV light and all the different forms of of UV light, so infrared, far infrared, can increase the amount of gel water in our cells in our bodies. And is this structured water, is it different from like hydrogen water generators? It is very different. I honestly don't know a lot about hydrogen water. I think that that science is still not quite there. I do think that there's going to be something to the hydrogen water, but hydrogen—it is—it's a, a different entity. Hydrogen water is basically a hydrogen gas that's infused into water. Whether or not it creates a little more structured water, it may—I don't know—it's a different thing. As is, like alkaline water, is a different entity also. So this is this is regular water that we drink, and and. I have actually a really good example, waterfalls. You know, when you're in nature and there's all the waterfalls, that water is a little thicker than natural, you know, regular bulk water. It's it's loaded with gel water, that's structured water in there. So it doesn't have to always be so jelly-like, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, no, this is so fascinating. And so it's the oxygen that's different in this water.
0: It's not quite different it has to do with the h2o molecule when they are side by side there's you know there's tons of them in this water and and how that they how they literally lay upon each other and when they do there's these oxygen molecules and the charges then structure the water in a way that those electrons are being shared so that becomes a little bit of a different equ- equation, H3O2. And this is theoretical, by the way. It's not, it's not 100% proven, the actual molecule, H3O2. But that's the belief, and, that's what, and that is the one that makes the most sense, too, when you start to look at the research.
2: Okay, so I think I understand better now. So it's like what you are saying at the beginning, the forms of water, you know, gas, liquid. So it's how the actual water is structured, which is why it would be called structured water.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. How they layer upon each other, how these cells just literally, you know, line up together and whether they're hexagonal in these shapes and forms. So with ice, and this, once again, I'm not a, a scientist in water, but like with ice, it has to do with how, how fast those molecules are going, are connecting to each other, I believe, something like that. But this is a whole new phase of water and it's mind blowing. It was mind blowing to me. That, you know, this simple molecule that we learned about in elementary school that, you know, or or just when you think we know so much about medicine, there's something new that comes along that blows your mind that was always there that we just didn't know.
2: It's making me think maybe there's like 10 phases of water and we, <laughs> and we have no idea.
0: That was the thing too. When I look at the research, there are many scientists that agree that there's another phase of water. There's lots of research on that. And and there are scientists that don't, that don't agree with Dr. Pollack either, but yet they do agree that there is some other phase of water. And by the way, water is the tiniest, tiniest molecule in the world. Like it is, it is so tiny. So it's hard to, very hard to study.
2: So I guess... Before we dive deeper into how structured water can benefit our health and hydration, going back to just water in general, which now I'm wondering what even is water in general, but going back to water in general, what are its critical functions in the body? I know you have five critical functions in the book, but would you like to talk a little bit about that?
0: Sure. Functions of water. So the first one that everybody really knows about is temperature regulation. So, you know, we sweat in order so that we don't die from heat, <laughs> you know, so we got to get that. We, we produce sweat. Water is, is, we need water to sweat. So it's a very important regulator of temperature. We know also lubrication, lubricating joints. It's also a solvent. So it's the major solvent in our body. It's what everything sort of gets diluted in. In including our electrolytes. And anything else that we we put into our bodies has to be diluted. What else? It carries nutrients. It carries nutrients all over the body. And then uh, the big thing, uh, it's a cushioner. It protects us, right? So you think about our brains. If we didn't have water, we would you know knock our brains against our skull and that would have be good but i think the biggest and most important thing is that it we need hydration we need water to create homeostasis in the body i love that word it's a really important word homeostasis is basically balance it's it's the balance of fluids in and out of a cell and those electrolytes so that you're not you know your cells are not bursting open you're not getting so much edema in your legs or swelling in your legs proper hydration is the most important thing for homeostasis
2: And then when things do fall out of balance and the homeostasis is disrupted, when there are signs of that, is that regulated? So say somebody has edema, for example, and they have swelling in a certain localized area, or they might just have water retention overall. Is that a matter of the acute location and like the relation between intra and extracellular water, or is it always regulated by the kidneys, for example? Like, is there a master regulator in charge of fluid levels
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's actually a complicated question because there are many causes of edema. So you think about, yeah, kidneys is is the master regulator of water. Like that's what you know, water in and water out happens through the kidneys. But people with you know heart failure, you can get edema, leg edema, bilaterally. People with liver disease or cirrhosis gets edema as well. It's sort of a a difficult question to ask from an edema standpoint, but like, I think what may be more relatable to people is so people know when they eat too much sodium foods, like sodium laden foods, like, like, you know, canned soups and those kind of things. I want to just take a step back and realize I said sodium and I didn't say salt because those canned foods are just loaded with sodium and it's not, it's not the right balance of real natural salt, Right. So people know when they eat too much sodium in their diets, they can get a little swelling. I'm just trying to think what would be causes of mild edema. So sodium, sitting too long, sitting on a plane for too long. Often my toes look like little sausages at the end of a a long plane fight. (laughs) So that might be better. I think even those things though, I just want to also say that People who eat a little cleaner or who are maybe less toxic or a little healthier, who are well hydrated, those things don't happen to as often as somebody who is maybe sort of very toxic, loaded with, you know, has a high toxic burden, whether it be from environmental stuff or heavy metals, who knows what, they tend to get a little more swollen than somebody who is up and moving around and and knows what it feels like to be properly hydrated. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, no, it does, and I'm assuming so. Like the swelling related to toxins, would that just be the coping mechanism of the body trying to flush out those toxins with excess water?
0: That very well could be. Yeah, there's probably many, many reasons for it. Um, glyphosates and those kind of things. You actually get cellular. You know, your cells just don't function well at all. But that's a that's a very good, simple explanation and and true explanation. Yeah. So if you're if you're working to Flush out those toxins. You're you're going to dehydrate yourself. I mean, our environments are incredibly dehydrating. So that's one of the things. It's a big a big concept we have in the book. Like our modern day envi- environments are are dehydrating us. So we live indoors all day long. You know, air conditioning and heat. I know I'm in New York, and only up until a few years ago did I not have those radiators in my apartment and They are the most, they suck every ounce of hydration out of the air. You know, so our environments, our, our, our cell phones, we're putting this, our cell phones up to our faces and creating anything that's going to create heat is going to dehydrate us. Think about the foods that we eat, all this processed foods, let alone, you know, the sodium, just even the foods that our body has to then in order to digest all of the, the process that it has to go through is dehydrating the medications that we're taking I have a list of medications that has been reported to the FDA as causing overt dehydration. And that's, you know, requiring an emergency room visit. And there are things that you would never even think about, like aspirin or, you know, proton pump inhibitors, some, you know, the purple pill, those kind of things. Things that you would never even think of, like, how does that, you know, we know that a diuretic is going to cause dehydration, but these are sort of things that people are popping every single day. So yeah, our environments are a mess. It's so scary. And then how intuitive is our sense of thirst? So
2: would a person know if they're dehydrated? There's this idea, they'll say that once you're thirsty, that means you're already dehydrated. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Your thirst mechanism. So first of all, we are very good at learning to override our thirst mechanism. So especially like athletes or or people who work, you know, who are so driven, they ignore their thirst me- mechanism. So we learn; we can learn to override it. Number one, but and as we get older, that mechanism gets—we lose that as well. Yeah, you know, once you're thirsty, you're pretty far gone. You don't want to—you don't want to be thirsty. You wanna—you want to nip that in the bud before it happens. That's—we talk a lot about that in the book. Like that's—that's that's the way to do it before you get thirsty.
2: Then I have a super random question just because you mentioned how heat was dehydrating. You do talk a little bit about saunas in the book. I've heard, and I think you mentioned this in the book as well, that infrared sauna actually could be hydrating to the cells. Do you have thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a, it, there's a fine line. So if you're sweating, you're losing, you know, you're losing water. So, I mean, if you're going into a sauna and you are sweating buckets, then you're, you're losing water. But infrared, According to Dr. Pollock's work and, and what we do believe too, that actually creates more gel water or structured water in your cells. So that actually loads up your cells with structured water. Your cells are functioning better. It creates more energy like those are the kind of structured water and these kind of cells literally hold on to energy they hold on to this electrical energy that we talked about remember i said those electrons how they're shared you're actually getting negative charge that's shared and within those cells they're also stored so you're actually storing energy so there's there is a fine line it's hard to say that infrared saunas are are hydrating when you're you know you may be sweating a ton but it also is at a cellular level increasing structured water or or increasing cellular hydration.
2: That makes sense. And then, I mean, it's so interesting, you're speaking about water and energy. And I think, you know, we often think, oh, water is zero calories. It's not even related to providing energy to the body. But that is something you discuss in the book, this idea that water actually can fuel our cells. So I think listeners might be a little bit (laughs) surprised by that.
0: I was surprised by that, actually. And it, it does it in a couple different ways. One way I just told you, so this structured water store can store energy much like a battery can store energy some of the other things with hydration and these are these are are, are theoretical but but nonetheless fascinating and interesting the way that water literally gets moved through your cell that can cr- create like hydraulic energy you, so you think about a waterfall waterfalls can can literally Give out energy, hydraulic energy, and they, we can we can foster that energy. Same thing with water going in and out of cells, which I think is really fascinating. And then just the electrical energy of water is 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 a real thing, and and that that gets into sort of that fascia talk a little bit that. Let me, let me take a step back. Let me just explain what fascia is, because this is actually a really fascinating, interesting subject. Fascia is this connective tissue that supports and surrounds every single cell, every single organ in our body. And it's this network of, of collagen and fibers and, and and this webbing that that's that's all over. And without hydration, that webbing obviously is, is ill and sick, but with hydration, it's it's what moves electrical energy through the body through that fascia. And there that's that's really all this new research that's going on about the electrical energy of hydration and water, let alone physical the hydraulic energy and, and true energy that we're talking about, including like ATP and how our cells need water to make atp which is we always thought atp is made just by glucose
2: yeah i loved in the book the fascia it was like this whole because i think people are drawn to the book and they think it's all going to be about hydration but then there's this you know whole section on fascia and movement and i was surprised to learn that apparently (laughs) like when they would do autopsies and stuff they didn't realize that it was an, an active system in the body until really recently right
0: yeah, fairly. Yeah. So, I mean, when I was in 20, 25 years ago, <laughs> when I was in, you know, anatomy class, you would cut through the, the body and, and just get to the vessels or get to the organ and throw everything else aside. You never even looked at what this webbing was, what this, you know, it was never studied. And a couple of years back, this very brilliant, I think he's a plastic surgeon, Guimberto. Actually, people should, if you're interested, look up this YouTube video. And I think it's called Living Fascia, I think is all it's called. He decided to put a camera under the, under the skin, a microscopic camera under the skin of a living person and, and study fascia. And when you look at it, so first of all, it's beautiful, but you see, you literally see water moving along, you know, that, it's, that it requires hydration and that that water, you know, fascia moves water. So it's not only blood and lymph that move water fascia moves water and i love to say this because it it really puts a good visual we've always been told that we know we have to move our joints to lubricate them but now we really understand why because fascia acts as a hydraulic pump so when you're when you're you're squeezing or you're you know making a muscle with your bicep and your arm you're literally squeezing that fascia and water is getting getting moved all over
2: Like for the lymph system, they often say that there's no pump that's moving lymph fluid through the lymph system. That's why you need to like physically move. Is that the same case with fascia?
0: That's a good question. I think so. You need to move to, otherwise it's just going to sit there. So sitting, you know, being sedentary dries out your, I don't know if if that's necessarily true. It doesn't dry it out, but it, but that move, the fluid on your fascia is not moving anywhere. So yes, it does require movement in order for it to, I mean, that's, that it is a hydraulic pump. I think that's, which is exactly that. A hydraulic pump is literally the movement, the squeezing, that kind of thing. So. So yes, we have to move. I wish I had a way out of it, but I don't.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. So there's this whole section in the book talking about these different types of movements that you can use to support your fashion. You call them like micro movements. And what's so funny is in the book, there's very specific like instructions you can follow to do them. And it's like these twisting and like wringing a dishcloth and all these things. I started doing them like while reading the book. They are the exact Weird random movements that I've been doing in life anyway, and I thought it was just me. Like I, like I was following the instructions. And I was like, "Oh, this is what I do all the time," and I never knew why I was doing
0: it. But now I do. Once again, our body is so wise. You know, your body is so wise. You know better. If you if you just people need to stop cutting themselves off from the head and feeling what's in your body and 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 being a little more intuitive of what your body needs and wants. But yeah, micro movements are are there's, they're so simple and they're nothing and you can make it up like, you know, make up, like, you know, making a fist is a micro movement of your fingers, you know, but it's, it's literally just moving joints, moving limbs in order to, to, to squeeze water. Or I, my favorite is just bobbing your head, like yes, saying yes, up and down. That's a micro movement. You're getting fluid and you're squeezing fluid into your brain and, and you're, and it's letting it out so yeah micro movements are simple things that we you know it's interesting somebody somebody I'm trying to think who brought this up to me I don't remember I was I was saying something like you know we now have those cameras in the front of our cars where you don't have to even turn your neck anymore to back out of your driveway you know and now we could just look forward and that was a great micro movement like being able to you know I also prided myself on being able to completely turn my body around and and look outside and and see what behind me and drive backwards we don't do that anymore because we have these front cameras in the front of our car and then somebody brought up the whole idea of like we don't even go to the grocery store anymore to walk from the parking lot into the grocery store or walk around the grocery store now with all of the 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 delivery that we're having so once again that's part of our environment that's part of our lifestyle that's changing and we have to we have to take note and and figure out ways to move
2: No, it's so true, and like to that point, like with all my podcasting and stuff, it typically requires a you know being at the computer a lot, a lot of desk work, and I'm always trying to combat that. And I think maybe I'm wondering if that's one of the reasons I just naturally have been inclined to do a lot of these movements. For the grocery store, for example, I go to the grocery store every single day. I just need to do that movement. That's where I'm doing like all these weird movements that are there in the book as well. So for listeners, it's. After reading the book, you will feel so different about how you move your body. And one of the things that I found so empowering was, I think people think to get benefit from movement, they have to do something like go do a really intense workout or do an exercise, like that little movements don't count. But actually, this paints the picture that not that they're more important, but they're, I mean, equally as important because that's what you know, is keeping this fashion moving, keeping your body more hydrated, keeping things, you know on a baseline level. Working, so it's very empowering.
0: Yeah, I do want to say though, this is not—it's not a substitute for exercise, and I'm by no means an exercise expert. But we still need to do some kind of, of exercise. And, and meaning, you know, I I I couldn't tell you what is the best way to you know whether it's high intensity in, interval training or cardio or weightlifting. I don't know, but we need to move. In addition to these micro movements, we still need to create some time for exercise, whether it be. Yoga or, you know, the gym and whatever it may be for you. It's in addition to your exercise.
2: 100%. Glad you could <laughs> definitely. Good thing to clarify for sure. So, going to the, the hydration side of things again with actual foods that are hydrating or dehydrating, is any given food either hydrating or dehydrating? Like, is it automatically going to be one or the other?
0: No. <laughs> No. No, I can tell you the one thing, I mean the only thing that sort of comes to mind and there is no no way around it that the only thing that's really like and it's not a food that's dehydrating is, is alcohol. Like alcohol is absolutely dehydrating and it's, you know, there's 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 a place for it in this world, but it is not something if you're looking to become optimally hydrated like I I just can't, you know, that's the only thing that's it's physically dehydrating. And the reason I say that is because then people ask about coffee and I and that's always like sort of typically the next question. <laughs> Am I jumping the gun? I don't know. The research on coffee shows that anything under four cups a day is not a diuretic. So coffee, you know, we allow a, a few cups of coffee a day if you want it. Uh, and i just, I'm trying to think, you know, me, I can't say a food you know, out of context is hydrating or dehydrating. So like people say, well, what about steak? Is steak dehydrating? Not necessarily. It just depends on, on what you're, you know, the, the whole picture of what you're putting in your body.
2: Yeah. Like speaking to that, one of the things I've been really fascinated by is traditional Chinese medicine and how they consider certain foods, you know, drying or damp or moistening. And I've always wondered why, for example, they consider pork moistening, but all the other meats not this <laughs> haunted me. Uh,
0: you know, that's a I, I'll, uh, that's a great question. I'm going to ask. Uh, we I have an acupuncturist in my office. I'll ask him. You know, I I always say about acupuncture too and Chinese medicine, it is a study in and of itself. Whatever the magic they do is incredible, incredibly. What's the word? Especially like for people with hormone problems, like it's such a great adjunct to what we do in Western medicine. I'm not a Chinese medicine and it is a very different way of looking at at, at the body. So I couldn't, I couldn't speak to it.
2: Yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of acupuncture. And one of the things you talked about in the book actually was that fascia actually responds to acupuncture so that there might be some sort of connection just as far as the systems go in the body. So I found that really fascinating. So fats, dietary fats, are specific dietary fats more or less hydrating than others? I feel like I hear different things. I hear that, you know, fats are key for lubrication and moisture. Then I hear, no, they're, you know, cause like fat and water.
0: Don't mix. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fat and oil.
2: What's going on there?
0: My, my favorite subject, good and bad fats. And I think if Dr. Atkins were still alive today, you know, he would have probably changed his, what he wrote about with, you know, eat all the fat you want and don't worry about, good and bad fats. He absolutely would because there's so much research out now about good healthy fats. So once again, I can't tease out one single thing about fats to say, "Oh, it's hydrating or it's not hydrating," but it's it's all about the big picture and the big and and what you're looking at in your diet. So we talk a lot about healthy fats. The only thing, you know, the the biggest thing is you want to. If I had to give you one piece of advice, you want to stay away from trans fats. You want to get rid of those trans fats in your diet, and then you want to really, you know, look at at good healthy fats. We didn't even talk about, by the way, with with meats and stuff, grass fed and organic, and huge. There is so much research about those grass fed meats and the difference of what it does in your bodies and the omega 3 to omega 6 ratios. So it's hard to say, just going back to the question about fat, let me just take a step back and explain the physiology of it. There are the cells in our body have these channels or pores that literally let water into your cells and they're called aquaporins. And those pores and the cells are lined with fat, right? That's what makes up our cell layer. And if your cell layer is not healthy, your cells are not healthy. So you have to eat the right fats. And it's such a bigger talk of why heart health and that kind of thing. But I say we are done with fearing fat, but we should fear bad fats, meaning trans fats, hydrogenated fats. You can look for those on the labels. You want to stay away from them. You want to look at what creates hydrogenated fat in your foods. And those are things like maybe heating up your oils to too high a temperature. So you want to cook with better cooking oils that don't create those trans fats when you heat them. So, for example, olive oil, let's take olive oil for an example. Olive oil actually, the good olive oil, like the extra virgin olive oil actually has, has a lower smoke point than the light olive oil. You know, so meaning when you, when you heat it up, it creates, um, hydrogenated fats at a lower temperature. So if you're going to cook with olive oil, you actually want to get the cheaper olive oil, the light virgin olive oil that doesn't create so many trans fats. Makes sense.
2: Yeah, no, it, it it does. And what about something like MCTs, for example? How might those affect the cells with hydration?
0: Yeah. So medium chain triglycerides. It's also a very hard question to answer. So, you know, I think it's more about balance in your diet, looking at, you know, what we're doing. The MCTs, there's some, that's the kind of fat that's in our brains. So there is this whole idea of putting MCTs in our, in our coffee and those kind of things that really give us fuel for our brains. If you're doing sort of ketosis or intermittent fasting, you know, it's, it's hard to. To te- tease them apart and say one thing about each separate thing. Is it hydrating? No. I don't know. But medium chain triglycerides are important for, so, like I just said, if you're doing a ketogenic diet and you want to give your, you know, burn fat for fuel, especially in your brain, then you want to take some MCTs.
2: Okay. Yeah. I was just wondering if there was anything with like how they're shuttled. Throughout the body, and since they require different transport mechanisms and stuff, if that at all affects <laughs> the hydration of
0: cells, yeah, maybe, maybe. I'm not sure. I have to be honest. It's it's so you know anything that maybe makes the body have to work a little bit harder, maybe. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put that much mind to it. I want you know if you're eating good healthy fats, you know we can measure fats too in the body. That's one thing I do love to do in my practice. Like I always look at people's omega sixes, omega threes, They're Parent omega threes and make sure that that you're in balance and that those numbers look good. So there are testing you can do, and actually I think you could even some of those that those omega testing you could probably there's lots of websites now that you could even do your own, order it without a doctor's order, like MyLabs dot com or something like that.
2: I'm so happy that that's becoming more of an option for people. I personally love Inside Tracker; they have amazing testing. And speaking to that, you're talking about you know low carb diets, things like that. So. Low carb versus low fat diets and hydration. Do you think a person could follow either one and be hydrated, or is one more likely to lead to dehydration? Would it more just depend on the, like you were talking about how, you know, if a cell's not functioning, you know, that's where the problem is. So maybe some people respond to a certain diet and their cells are functioning great. I don't know if that would correlate to better hydration. I'm just wondering if the the low carb versus low fat, realm. And there's also things like, you know, juice cleanses and stuff, which would obviously be low fat.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I have to say first, uh, just right off the bat, I don't believe in juice cleanses and I don't believe in low fat diets. Those are two things I don't believe in. You know, I say not one diet fits all. I think in this day and age, there's enough evidence out there that low fat diets are not the way to go in any way, shape or form. So low bad fat diets, maybe is something. I don't know what that even means, but low fat diets I, I I just like ah that scares me. And juice cleanses, like those three day juice cleanses, I don't think do anything. I don't think there is, you know, there is any reason to do a a juice cleanse. You know, you're getting all these sugar and carbs and there's nothing long term from it. Maybe a little bit of gut rest from it because you're not you're not processing anything. Maybe that might be a reason to do it. So I forgot what the question was. Oh, does a low... Yeah, so I think that answers the question because honestly, I would never, I would never put somebody on a low-fat diet. Now, a low-calorie diet is a different, is something different, right? Low-calorie is something that many people would do to lose weight versus maybe a low-carb diet. And I, I, I do think that a low-carb diet, a very low-carb diet, diet, like a ketogenic or an Atkins diet, is more dehydrating. Uh, if that also makes sense because of the diuretic effect of it. There's actually a physiological diuretic effect and you have to make sure that you are drinking enough water. I think on everything though, you know, in everything that we talk about, you have to, like that should be the number one thing that you think about.
2: Probably that's a great question. So in a person's daily life and they're looking to address this hydration question, how much water should they be drinking and would that also be affected by the actual type of types of food and the diet that they're following like might a person need to drink less water from the bottle if they're having more hydrating foods or they still need a certain amount of water you know from the bottle
0: yeah yeah. So great question. And that's, that is exactly what we try to teach people in the book. There is no one size fits all. I said it earlier today, but if you had to twist my arm, I would get, I would say to you, if you needed a number, you know, we didn't even talk about the eight glasses a day, <laughs> which is, it makes me so happy because I, because every podcast, that's the first thing that people talk about eight glasses a day, but it's not the way to go. right. We know that now. So if you had to twist my arm and I had to give you a number, I would say drink half your weight in ounces of water. So think about that. Half your weight in ounces. If you weigh 200 pounds, 100 ounces of water a day. But even that, there is some interesting new research that's coming out that's not even in the book, that if we eat properly, and eat hydrating foods we may only need one glass of water a day you know so what we try to teach you in the book is to to know and find what that set point is for you so some of the things you want to look for is we're meant to pee get up and pee every 2 or 3 hours so if you're not getting up and peeing every 2 or 3 hours you're not hydrating. You want to look at the color of your urine and you want it to be an, a straw, a pale yellow or a straw colored. You want to be energized. If you do you feel good? Do you feel energetic? Are you do you move fluidly? You know, do you have brain fog? Do you get headaches? Are you constipated? So these are all the things that we teach you to look for and what it feels like to feel optimally hydrated. So I can't say to somebody, you need to be drinking eight glasses of water a day. I don't know what that is for you. You know, are you eating Really good, clean, healthy, organic food. Lots of vegetables, and you know, organic meats, fish, that kind of thing. So it's it's a very difficult. I wish I had an answer, but I don't.
2: And so many more think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hack. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order. So you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste, Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, Hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking, honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress, and I am not kidding. That's right, unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I am just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's com for all of the clothes, None of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine, and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits. The longest-lived populations drink wine. The polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with dry farm wines. One of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep and or optimize your partying. You need these patches friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer. That's I O N L A Y E R and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get $100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm going to use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, P.S. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner Code Melanie Avalon for one hundred dollars off. Well, you do have the book, so that's <laughs> that's a that's a helpful resource. Another question, something you talk about are the benefits of grinding and blending foods and how that can actually make the nutrients more available and support hydration. So I have a very specific question about this. It is so random, but I am a huge fan of cucumbers and I eat a lot of cucumbers. So as far as the hydration goes, I used to eat them just like slices of cucumbers, but now I actually put them through a juicer and grind them in the juicer to make them... To I mean, it's what you're saying. It makes it more ground. But then I have this issue where I have the juice and the ground up pulp and... Sorry, this is so random, but I actually really, I'm wondering this question forever and there's nobody to ask and you're the, you're the person to ask. So now I do that to make it more digestible because I tend to have IBS type issues, but now I'm in the situation where I have the pulp and the juice and I don't know if that's more or less hydrating to take it in in separate form. So now basically I drink the juice and then I, and I have the pulp as a food compared to having the cucumber as one whole food. Do you think that would change how it's assimilated by the body?
0: One of the things in the book that we should talk about is the fiber is important. So that pulp I think is important for fiber, but, but, but in your case, there are people that can't tolerate it you know, and it may be too much for you, for your digestive system, for whatever reason. I mean, I would want to look for a root cause of, you know, why can't you tolerate, uh, you know, and, and, and can you also not tolerate raw vegetables, you know, like just drinking, you know, so there may be something underlying there, maybe something in your microbiome, who knows. But I think, I do think that the, the pulp with the, the juice together is more hydrating than just the juice alone. Because it almost acts like a sponge, it holds onto that water, it sucks it in. and it, and and honestly, that is a clinical opinion. there is no there's never been a research that will tell you anything like that. It just doesn't exist. But that's what i believe. and And I think that we talk about smoothies in the book. So blending your greens versus juicing your greens, you know, so you're getting rid of the, the, the fiber and the pulp and just drinking the juice. I think the fiber and the pulp is more is, is very important for for feeding your microbiome also. Like we know that we need that that prebiotic fiber to help feed the microbiome that, that, that in turn gives us, you know, so many works on even our blood sugar systems. And so I I think it's it is important. But if it upsets your stomach, then maybe maybe just a little bit of that pulp in there.
2: Well, the ironic thing is, I still eat both the pulp and the juice. They're just separated now. I put it through the through the juicer, sort of like pre-digest the cucumber to make it more digestion friendly. But I just wonder if, in separating the fiber from the liquid, if that at all affects. You know, the the hydration potential of the food when you eat it sort of like I've done a lot of research on like soups versus taking in food where it's like not in soup form and how that actually affects nutrient assimilation and gastric emptying and things like that. And I'm like, wow, I feel like there's a lot going on here. I mean, I guess it should be more intuitive. I should probably stop thinking about it so much. But um.
0: No, it's interesting. I mean, I know a lot of people who do juice and then take that pulp and make like those, you know, like muffins and stuff out of it. You know, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't think anybody would uh, would have that, that answer. Maybe if you find it, I, I would love to know.
2: If any listeners know, please let me know. It's been haunting me. So what are some of the foods that you find to be particularly hydrating? Something else I wonder, like fruits, for example, there'll be fruits like like blueberries. I love blueberries. But then because they're high in like tannins and maybe more insoluble fiber, would that make them potentially less hydrating than other types of fruits that might be without tannins and a different, more soluble fiber? Does that matter as far as hydration potential?
0: I don't think so. I think you know we we list out a list of fruits and vegetables and and the the amount of water content in them but the truth is you want to it's it's once again it's all about the overall big picture of things and and how are you feeling. So, you know, if we're going to talk about fruits, we also need to worry about then, you know, some of the more sugary fruits and how much fruits in a day are you eating? There's lots of other other reasons that maybe you shouldn't eat so much fruit. So, The star though, or the thing that we talk about in the in the book, are more vegetables, like and especially green leafy vegetables, really getting you know, getting those into our bodies. And you know, I try to lay out a a fairly lower glycemic plan where we're not eating so much sugar and so vegetables are incredibly hydrating and that's, you have all the minerals and the vegetables that, are, that we need to, to hydrate and we give the contents, the water content. But I don't think that you can say, once again, by eating you know, broccoli versus blueberries, one is more hydrating than the other in, in a short term sort of thing. I don't think that's ever been looked at.
2: Gotcha. I guess I'm being haunted too much by again, TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, where it's like every food is like this thing or
0: that or that. Well, I think there's something to what they say in Chinese medicine, but but that's also not, once again, not one diet fits all. And that's more of a, a bigger picture of things, you know? And so to put it on the food, it depends on what, what's going on with the body. And, and you know, also somebody like yourself who maybe who has, who can't tolerate so much raw vegetables, you know, for their gut can't tolerate it, then then there has to be something something else, you know, whether you cook your vegetables or and, and does blending help them? It may.
2: Exactly. And for listeners, I did have a really fascinating episode on traditional Chinese medicine. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And listeners, you really <laughs> Definitely get the book Quench. It is such a resource. It provides fantastic lists of foods to have for hydration. You know, a dietary protocol that you can follow. Those micro movements that we talked about. It's really just an amazing, wonderful resource. I cannot recommend it enough. It it also has Dana. Did you develop the beauty water recipes?
0: We both did the beauty water recipe. I mean, that's a no brainer though, <laughs> because they are just very simple one one ingredient water you know so blueberries in water is a, is a beauty water I love that idea of making life so. That's and by the way, I just want to explain. Like, you know, we've talked a lot of science. Like, you you sort of got into it. The book is really easily read. It's not a lot. It, you know, there's there's the science which is very interesting, but it we try to make it. It's it's written for the masses. It's meant to help everybody. It's really readable and e- I think easily read. And that so the beauty waters are things that people can make up on their own too. It's it's a single ingredient even, you know, lemon in lemon slices in water could be a beauty water. Um, So very simple one ingredient things that people don't have time to do a a blended smoothie. All right. You know what? Grab some strawberries and throw them in some water. Easy. You know,
2: for listeners, it's an extremely approachable book. I thought it was brilliantly constructed because it does have all the science, but it is like you said, Dana, it's it's an easy read. It's enjoyable. It's so easy to integrate into your life. So I think it's a wonderful, wonderful resource. I have two really quick last questions and then we can, I'll let you go. The first one, just, I saw that you, one of your fortes is chelation therapy. I was wondering if your chelation therapy approach was completely dietary based or if
0: it is supplemental as well. No. So chelation therapy in my office is based on, huh, it's. Uh, I'm certified by ACAM, which is, once again, you mentioned it earlier, the American College for the Advancement in Medicine. It's actually one of the longest running integrative medical organizations meant to educate and other physicians and chiropractors and other, other providers. And chelation therapy, it's based on removing heavy metals from the body, specifically things like lead and mercury. And the chelation therapy that I specialize in is is specifically for heart disease. It has to be Monitored, it's, it has to be given by a doctor, so it's not the same as as taking like chlorophyll or some other kind of things that can help chelate heavy metals from your body, which is really good and really important. But this is this is like a bigger thing, and this is what there's been recently some major studies done on chelation for heart disease or people who've had a heart attack, and and it helping to prevent a secondary event.
2: Is it DMPS based or EDTA? EDTA. Okay. I think I've probably read some of those studies.
0: Yeah, so JAMA, the Journal for the American Medical Association, gosh, it's been now probably six or seven years ago, published the first, um, it was over a 10 year study on chelation therapy for heart disease. And it was uh, Dr. Lamas, Gervasio Lamas, was the researcher, the, the, the main researcher who wrote the, uh, and it was very positive, incredible results that they got. And especially with people who had diabetes. Who had a heart attack, you gave them chelation therapy and they had a huge reduction in their chances of getting a secondary heart attack or event. There's no medication in the world that could have done what, what chelation did for those people, especially with the diabetes. And, and currently there is a, a an NIH funded study going on specifically on people with diabetes who've had a heart attack and using chelation therapy.
2: Oh wow, that's fantastic. I think I'm like pretty one hundred percent sure that I that I read that study. Cause I remember it even talked about how they signed up people. And everything?
0: It was a huge deal. Like it was uh, millions of dollars went into it. Prior to that, it was thought that doctors who did chelation were all quacks, and it was incredible. The study was incredible, and it it took 10 years to do. And the the cardiologist, Dr. Lamas, I mean, he is a very, uh, you know, what's the word, not an integrative cardiologist, you know. And he did the study, he took it on, and it was incredible, very positive.
2: Did they find any negative effects on the kidneys, do you know, from the chelation therapy?
0: No, no negative. In fact, it improved kidney function, but somebody who has, you know, you have to be careful because somebody who's a diabetic may have kidney disease or problems with your kidneys. So, so you have to, I mean, there is, it's, there's a whole procedure that you have to go to, to, in order to dispense and, and give chelation therapy. So you do need to be careful in patients who have kidney disease with it. it. It actually improved kidney function if given correctly.
2: Gotcha. I do remember reading, reading that as well about the kidneys. I was wasn't sure if that was the same study or not.
0: Yeah, no, it was teased out and the the kidney function improved. Mm
1: -hmm. That's
2: fantastic. All right. Well, the last question that I ask every single guest on this podcast, it relates, it actually does relate to something you talked about in the book, because you did talk about the power of meditation and how mindset actually affects hydration. But I have just been realizing more and more how important mindset is for our
0: health and well-being. So what is something that you're grateful for? Oh, I love that. I'm just going to be honest. And the first thing that comes to my mind is something I say to myself all the time. I am grateful for my brain. I'm like, I'm grateful that, you know, I have... I have take, chosen this path. I was always a good student. Like it, things came very easily to me in undergrad and in high school, and I was a great student. And and it was all because, like, I don't know, my brain. I'm grateful for my for my my intellect. How do I say that in a nice way? Like, not that I I I, I think I was I was gifted. I was gifted this brain and the way it thinks. And I often say that to myself, and I'm very grateful for that.
2: That is wonderful and it really shows through because your work is brilliant. I learned so much in the book. I like I wish you could have seen me. I was on the treadmill reading it and I like I said I started doing the movements and I was like these are the movements I do anyway and it was just like the best moment. I really think you're onto something.
0: I love it. Thank you. That made my day. That that always makes my day. I love it. I, I get incredible feedback, and and it just that's that's why I did it. I think that we need to step into our bodies. We need to take control, and this is your first step in doing. Before you embark on any kind of diet or whatever it may be, lifestyle change, you have to start here, and it's um, it's simple, and you will you'll notice a difference, and people are really noticing a difference.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. Actually, that's one thing that you did mention that really stuck with me as well in the book was you were talking about the power of remembering a time and I'm paraphrasing, but it was basically like remembering a time that you felt really good moving your body and the power of attaching that memory to your movement. And I was like, that is so powerful and I hadn't thought about that before. So I started integrating that and now even going forward, like I said, when I do these crazy weird movements I was doing anyway, now I attach this greater mindset before I was just thinking I was like kind of weird and needed to move, but now it's like, I, it feels very empowering and I know the health benefits from it. And I imagine that probably even extends the health benefits as well. So
1: thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much as well.
1: Well, enjoy the rest of your evening. All right, Melanie. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast.